if uh, you know anything about me, that was awkward. <laughs> I don't love public recognition, but I do love you guys. And so uh, it is with great thankfulness that I've served this church uh, for as long as I have. Um, we have such a good, good church, and, and, and I believe we have the best church in BC. Uh, and this summer, I've been able to travel around our nation, speaking at many places, and uh, there's nowhere else I'd rather be than this church. And so thank you. Thank you so much for humbly... Uh, supporting me and loving me and my family, and I take it with great honor that you would, uh, you would continue to support me. <laughs> so thank you. And uh, I don't know how to transition from there into this morning's message, so we're going to go into this morning's message now. <laughs> Listen, this week was a, was a big week in the Berkey household. Uh, my, my son, Dallas, uh, he is now in kindergarten. And so uh, Dallas is at the, the new school over in, in West Hills. And so uh, if, I, if I am being honest, it's been a bit of a tough week uh, having him going into kindergarten. Now, it's not because I, I feel like I'm getting old. Uh, I already knew that I was getting old from my receding hairline and them turning gray slowly. Actually, I was talking with someone in the prayer room earlier, and he asked if my barber has ever offered to uh, trim my eyebrows. <laughs> and, and the reality is, yeah, that has happened. And so at that moment, I remember sitting in the chair thinking, this is where I've come. I am, I am now an old man. And so I got thinking in, in, this, in this last week or so, like, why has it been such a tough week? Why? Like, I'm not really nervous about being old. <laughs> I'm not really nervous about Dallas and if he will do well in school. Dallas is made for school. He loves school. He, uh, any of our preschool teachers here at the church will tell you, like, he loves going to school. I'm not worried about what he will learn or if he will do well or if he will fit in, any of those things. So I started thinking, like, why am I so nervous and so, why has this week been so challenging? And the reality that I've come to, the conclusion that I've come to, is because it's been a season of change. It's been a season of change in, in our house. We have a lot of things going on. I have some change happening here at the church with what I do. Uh, I have some change with my son and the schedule. And so I've realized that this week has been a little bit tougher because I have come into some change. And I would contend to with you this morning that there are generally two types of change. The first is uh, the change that you've, you've brought upon yourself. You've accepted and that you've decided that this change has to happen. Uh, the second kind of uh, change is change that is forced upon you, that you didn't really want, <laughs> or maybe knew that you needed. It's just change that has happened. And, and that can be challenging. Any change really can be challenging. It could be taxing. It could be just brutal change. Some people like change and move well with it. Some people find change absolutely disgusting and want nothing to do with it. I am the kind of person that I like change. I've done this personality and character assessment tool called the Berkman, and the Berkman would tell you that I thrive under change. And so if you were to ask our staff, does James like change? Uh, they would probably say, 
Yeah, like I change my office and the way it's laid out all the time. I've painted it, put different pictures. Like I like change. So I'm always changing what's happening in my office. Not only that, like my coffee paraphernalia in my office is always changing. I've had an espresso machine. I've had a Nespresso machine. I have a Hario V60 and a Chemex. It, uh, you guys don't actually care, do you? <laughs> but I like change. I change things up quite a bit. And I'm okay with change in my life. But the reality is, still, change can be tiring. Change can be taxing. And I would admit that we have just come out of a season, or coming out of a season, where change was forced upon us all. And the last couple of years have been a very taxing couple of years. Like, things looked different. A year and a half ago, I was preaching to a camera that was right here, with no one in the room. Or when we were recording worship and the house uh, uh, speakers weren't on. It's weird. It just doesn't seem right. And sometimes change doesn't seem right. But good change is always good for us. In the last couple of years, I'd recognized that certain patterns, schedules, friendships, certain lifestyles, they got put on hold. They generally felt at loss. And so I decided that I would uh, do some studying because I like studying psychology. And I like to study the way people think and, and why you think the way that you think. And so uh, I've admitted this before, but generally I'm judging all of you uh, on your actions <laughs> and the way that you hold a conversation. Uh, that might be partially true or fully. I don't know. You decide. Um, but I've come to the conclusion after studying change that there are five kind of steps. There's five uh, changes of process involving five different stages. And these different stages are pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance. Pre-contemplation is where you're not yet acknowledging that your, that your actions or behaviors or your characteristics, they need change. Pre-contemplation is where you're at the point where you're like, I'm okay with who I am, what I do. I'm okay. To overcome this, I would ask that you would just evaluate your own personal behavior and characteristics. <laughs> Sounds easy. But I would ask that you start to question your own behavior and your characteristics. And I'm specifically talking about change today in our spiritual behaviors and our spiritual growth. And so I'm asking that you would assess your own spiritual health and wellness. So, pre-contemplation. You're not yet acknowledging where you're at and where you might need to be. And then that leads us to contemplation. Contemplation is a step where you acknowledge that there might be a problem, that there might be a need for change. There might be another step that the Lord wants to bring you to. There might be somewhere else that God is calling you to, but you may not actually be ready for that. You acknowledge it, but you ain't ready. This is where we must, uh, in my opinion, weigh the pros and cons of change. Pray, weigh the pros and cons of what is about to happen or what that change is. And, and, and I can tell you, if God is calling you to it, then it's always going to have a longer list of pros than cons. But generally in life, like maybe a career change, what's the pros and cons? There's an immediate pro and the immediate con 
what are the long-term pros and cons? So then you uh, get to that point of contemplation, you weigh your pros and cons, you decide, hey, change is actually uh, inevitable, really, it's just going to happen to all of us. Uh, but in this situation, change is good, and so you start to prepare, which leads you to preparation. And that's the moment, obviously, where you start to get ready. As the Bible would say, you gird up your loins. I don't actually even know what that means. I think it's in the Bible. <laughs> it is. It's more for men than it is. Anyways, it doesn't matter. You gird up your loins and you get ready. You're getting ready to change. You're getting ready. You know, there's this preparation. You're getting ready. So you start to take these small steps. You start to take these small steps towards change. You start to make a plan. Okay, this is where I am. This is where I want to be. I'm going to make a plan on how to get there. Maybe this involves for you doing some research. I'm a big YouTube guy. I'm a, I'm a YouTube doctor, personally. Yeah, I've got my doctorate. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So then you've prepared. You've started to make these little steps. You've started to make your plan. You've done your research. Then this needs, needs to, needs to move you to action. Action is when you take action. It's when you start to change your behavior. It's when you start to make a move. It's when you start to decide, hey, this isn't where I'm, where I am now isn't where I'm supposed to be. Where I'm going is where I'm supposed to be. And so you start to take action. Maybe it's for us refocusing our spiritual lives. Maybe it's refocusing or retooling what we're, our behavior. This may be for all of us, stepping out of our own comfort zone. Because it's hard to change and stay comfortable. That's the reality of it. You can't stay comfortable and change. Sometimes we need to move out of our comfort zone so that we can move towards change or what God is calling us towards. Maintenance is the last and final step. And this is the ongoing one that uh, through my research, it would say uh, six months to six years <laughs> long of how long this process would be. And maintenance is exactly that, the final and ongoing maintaining of that change. This is where we find support. We find ourselves reminding ourselves of the why and continue even when we are unsure. For me, like, uh, I like going to the gym. And by, I like going to the gym, I mean, the last time I went to the gym was five years ago. <laughs> but I like going to the gym, you know? <laughs> the reality is, though, if, if, if I believed in going to the gym was actually good for me, I'd still be going to the gym. I'd remind myself of that positive change. I'd remind myself of why this is important. And so for our spiritual lives, what is important Remind yourself of that daily and continue to pursue it. And you don't just stop because things are getting hard. You don't just stop because things are uncomfortable. Remember, you stepped out of your comfortability. It's not a good thing to step back into it. And so maybe for some of us, maintenance looks like reminding ourselves and continuing that way. And so this morning, I'd like to call you to action. I'd like to call you and give you tools of maintenance. But first and foremost, I'd like to tell you, maybe for some of us, it's time for change. And that's tough, coming out of a season that we have been coming out of. 
I don't want change. I want to just be comfortable. I just want to just relax for a little bit. James, like, do you know what I've gone through? <sighs> yeah, <laughs> I've gone through it too. And so this morning, maybe it's time for change. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. And Lord, as it is not easy to accept change, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of your Holy Spirit that has promised to be our helper, our advocate, our friend. And Lord, I pray that we would rely more and more on the Holy Spirit every single day. And Lord, I pray that we would never be satisfied with where we're at, but we would only strive towards what you are calling us to. And Lord, we recognize this morning that you are perfect, you are holy, and you are good. And so we pray that we would focus on you. In your name, amen. We started this new series, a uh, new thing, and there's this portion of scripture that we have been focusing on um, that I'd like to read for you. It's Isaiah 43, verse 18 to 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Are you not aware of it? Are you not conscious of it? Do you not quite grasp it? <laughs> I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I am doing a new thing. Don't hold on to the past. Don't hold on to what was. Do not hold on to the former things, but look forward to the new thing. Listen, a new thing, in order to have a new thing, there must be a change. And so if you want a new thing in your spiritual life, there needs to be some sort of change. Isaiah is talking here to a once very proud nation of Judah that has gone through some pretty hard times. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go to last week's sermon by Pastor Sean where he expanded on that portion of Scripture and told us all about Babylon and what was happening there. Uh, but this is a, a thing where these people are, they're, they're not seeing greatness happening. They're seeing some, some pretty... They're frustrated. And I would ask you if you are frustrated. Most of us would probably say, yeah, we've had some frustrating moments in the last couple of years. But he's saying to them, listen, no matter what is frustrating, God wants to do a new thing in your life. I would relate that to us. God wants to do a new thing in your life. Do you perceive it this morning? Do you know what God wants to do? Do you perceive what he was calling you to? Do you perceive it? He wants to do a new thing in your life. And now we are going to be focusing in the next couple of weeks on the connect, the grow, the serve, different aspects of that new thing. And so we are going to try to help you perceive it in the next number of weeks. And that is my job this morning, is to help you perceive it. The thing is, there's a season where connection was altered. There's a season where being connected together was altered. And for some people, being connected to God was altered because we were told we can't worship in the church like we used to. We can't meet in groups like we used to. And so there has been some people that have been frustrated or feeling at a loss because there was a bit of a change. The way we did things changed. Church, 
connect groups, family gatherings, dinners, things changed. And I would admit that some things changed because we felt the need to be cautious, and that's okay. You know, there's some things that changed because there was a, 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 a health order and we followed those health orders. But then some things changed just because we wanted to be more cautious. And that completely is okay. But the fear that I have as a pastor, I'll be honest with you, is that caution I've seen led some people to comfortability. And the problem with comfortability is it has the potential to lead us to complacency. And I'll tell you that it's real hard to grow in your faith if you're complacent and okay with just where you're at and what you're doing. And so my question is, are you comfortable? Are you complacent? Or do you need to go back to the five steps and relook at where you're at? The danger of comfortability and complacency is that we often become closed off from a new thing God wants to do in our lives. And I can tell you this morning, if you want a greater spirit-filled life, deeper relationships with God, and a greater move of God, then you need to be willing to allow God to break you out of your comfortability and your complacency and allow God to make room for change. When it comes to the five stages of change, we need to move past the pre-contemplation, past the contemplation. We need to move past the preparation, and we need to start taking action. And maybe for some of us, we need to learn how to maintain it. I would say, a common saying that I use, if you want a greater move of God, then you need to be willing to move for God. If you want a greater move of God in your life, in this church, then you need to be willing to move for God. I have this empty jar. Represents our lives. Not necessarily like your life. I'm not saying that you're empty. Um, but uh, it represents our lives. And we tend to fill our jars, don't we? We tend to fill our jars with different things. And so I have a few illustrations. Maybe you've seen this before, but, you know, we have bigger things in our lives that are important, like family. Or we have bigger things that are important, like uh, friends, or church, or connect groups, or maybe your finances. You have different things in your life that are they're big deal. They're, they're, they're big deal. They're important. So we put those in our jar. And many of us would look at this jar and say, it's full. Many of us would look at this jar and say, no, there's still a bit of room. And so we take our pebbles, and these represent the things that maybe are uh, a little bit less important than this. Where am I going to live? It's important, but it's not like, you know. I'm, so you put those things in. Where am I, what house am I going to buy? What color should my car be? I don't know. <laughs> you, you put your thing in, I don't know. But we all have different things that we find that are fairly important, but they're not the main thing. They're not like live or die kind of things. They're not like the top of the shelf things, you know? But then we would look at this and be like, okay, that's getting pretty uh, weighty and it's pretty full. But then we start filling our jar with uh, other things like, uh, are my shoes nice? <laughs> 
That's a, that's a thing for me, okay? <laughs> you know? Are my, uh, are my pants nice? I don't know. <laughs> but we have different things that we find important, right? They're not like the, the most important things. They're kind of important. And so we start putting those things in the jar as well. They're not that important. Like you probably, you probably could do without that stuff. But the thing is, if we started this analogy today with filling the jar up with sand, we wouldn't have a lot of room left for the main thing. We wouldn't have a lot of room left for family. We wouldn't have a lot of room left for God. We wouldn't have a lot, you know, if we started with the pebbles, we wouldn't have a lot of room left for the main thing. And so it's hard to imagine, you know, filling our lives full of superfluous things. It's important for us to look at our lives and put things that are important first. What I'm calling you this morning is to maybe re-look at your jar, re-look at what's in your life, re-look at the the main things and the superfluous things and the, the not-so-important things. Maybe re-look at that because in the last few years, we were forced to remove some of those main things. We were forced to remove some of those things like meeting together. That, that was, that was kind of hard. You know, I had to stop. I couldn't, I couldn't drive to see my family. They were shutting down highways. They started, you know, it started to become hard. Or we got rid of some of the stuff like meeting at church. We couldn't do that. That was tough. Or we started getting rid of like certain like connect groups. We weren't able to do that. It became, it became tough. We weren't allowed to do those main things. And so there were certain things that were, we, we, just, we just got rid of them. Now, I, I could tell you, you could have retooled that. My connect groups continued. We just met via Zoom. I don't want to do that anymore, to be honest with you. But uh, we forgot how to retool. The thing is, because we got rid of a whole bunch of stuff and we now had a whole bunch of room in our jar, in our lives, for other things, we started to fill that jar up with things that really didn't matter. We started to fill that jar up with like, oh, I, yeah, I, I, I'll just do that. I'll just do these things, you know, like, I'll just fill it up with that. I try to go fishing more, to be honest with you. And all of a sudden, we don't have room in our jar for the main things that got taken out. And so this morning I'm asking you, maybe it's time to reprioritize your lives, to look at what's in your life and make the main thing the main thing. Maybe it's time to connect back with other people. Maybe it's time to connect with God. Maybe it's time to rearrange and reprioritize what we hold fast to. So this morning, I want to call you back to connection. I want to call you back to connecting with God. I want to call you back to connecting with others. And some of us are like, James, I never lost that. Good. How can you do it better? Reprioritize your lives and let the main thing be the main thing. Maybe it's time for some of us to join a connect group. Perhaps it's time for, for us to come to an encounter prayer night that's going to be happening. Maybe, maybe it's just time to make church a priority again. Now you're like, James, I'm in church. Why are you saying that to me? I don't know. Take it what you want. I believe it's time for us 
to be with one another. Being with one another is one of the most basic but fundamental calls in Scripture. We see time and time and time again that the Bible calls us to be together, to love one another. In fact, actually, this, there's this portion of Scripture out of Numbers chapter 10 where Moses is taking care of the people and he's frustrated, he's tired, he's like weary, it fully says those things, read it, it's fun. And uh, he's like, God, what the heck, this is terrible, I hate this. And uh, he's lamenting with the Lord. And he's like, this is just, this is too much, it's unbearable, God. Like, do you not see what I'm dealing with? Have you ever felt that way? Like, God, do you not, do you not see what I'm dealing with? I'm lamenting. This is not fun. Like, and then we get into Numbers 11, chapter, uh, verse 16 to 17. The Lord says to Moses, Bring me 70 of the Israel's leaders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and then I will take the same power of the Spirit that is on you, and I will put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you do not have to carry it alone. Let me ask you again. Is life feeling overwhelming, tiresome, stale? Are you being potentially complacent? I'd call you this morning to gather some people around you that can carry the burden with you, that could love you and help support you and help you move the ball down the field. Maybe, just maybe, for some of us, that is joining a connect group. A group of individuals that love you, that want to be together, that admit the importance of gathering together, building community, and to ch- carry each other's burdens. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 to 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, One can help the other up. But pity on anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I picture this portion of scripture. uh, Like, I just, I like to try to make things as real as possible in my head. I picture this portion of scripture as someone literally falling down. And it's easy. I've played sports to go over, help them up, and you continue on. But woe is to the individual that falls and has no one there to pick him up. So I've played two major sports in my life. Football, and I was a boxer. In football, there's someone there to pick me up, dust me off, and send me on my way. In boxing, usually when I fell down, that wasn't a good sign. (laughs) (laughs) And so, woe to the individual who has no one there to pick them up. My hope for you is that you at least have people in your lives that are talking about spiritual growth, that are talking about love, that are talking about picking you up, dusting you off, and carrying on. I think we can continue to paint the picture of how it is better to be together. The preacher in Ecclesiastes understood that everybody needs help. But here's the kicker. It's a blessing both to give and receive help. It's a blessing. In Proverbs 27, verse 17, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one person sharpen another. And often we'll look at this piece of scripture and we'll be like, oh, that's encouraging. Like my friends are helping me get better. Uh, Have you ever sharpened a knife? I have. Uh, 
because I'm an outdoorsman. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm not. Uh, but here's the deal. One, to, in order to sharpen a knife, there's a certain level of friction that needs to happen. There's a certain level of grinding that knife down. There's a certain level of sparks that need to fly. And so is, if you want to get better as an individual, if you want to get better as a Christ follower, what I'm telling you today is that iron will sharpen iron. Get people around you. But it's not always going to be a pretty picture. Sometimes there's going to be accountability in your life that needs to happen. What I mean by that is sometimes accountability looks like, hey, are you sure you should be doing that? Are you sure you should be thinking that way? Are you sure that that's the proper way to look at that piece of scripture? And you get sharpened through a process that sometimes is refining and uncomfortable. So I'm calling you this morning to be uncomfortable. I'm calling you this morning to accountability. I'm calling you this morning to connection. There's three things really that I'm specifically calling you to. If you too long, didn't listen. That's a thing. Here's the three things. Connect. Gather people around you. Two, lift each other up. Three, be accountable. This is where I would lane into the fifth stage of change. Maintenance, persists, keep going. And I believe the scripture out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25 is timely, and it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. What this is calling us to is this maintenance type thing. Continue, persist, love one another, cheer each other on, lift one another up, get back into connect groups, get back into church, get back to meeting together. Continue. Maintenance. My hope for you this year is moving forward that you would connect with others and with God in a deeper way than you ever have ever before. I believe you can do this in a number of different ways, and I believe there's a few different measurables in your life that you could look at and be like, am I connecting with God? Am I connecting with others better? And the first comes uh, from James chapter 5. Therefore, in verse 16, therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Again, this is calling us to accountability that we are called to, that we are to be open, we are to be honest, we are to be vulnerable with one another. The second thing this scripture calls us to is to pray for one another. So I'd ask you, are you being accountable? Are you holding others accountable? And are you praying for one another? If I'm being honest, and I look at my own life, am I seeking out accountability? When is the last time I cared enough to pray for someone and their needs? How often am I praying for other people? And I'd ask you the same thing. That's immeasurable. Are you being accountable? Are you praying? And the second measurable that I'd give you is out of Acts chapter 4 which to me is part of the greatest way the church should look. But Acts chapter 4, verse 32, all believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions as their own, but they started to share everything that they had. And because of their unity, they regarded people more important than things. People over programs. People over your schedule. People over your new shoes. 
Now, this unity is not conformity, where everybody is exactly alike. It's not organizational, where everybody must be forced into the same denomination, Boyce would say. What this is meaning for us is they've recognized the ownership that God has over everything. It all belongs to God. And this Acts chapter 4 scripture is a beautiful painting of individuals who encourage each other, one another, towards love and good deeds. They encourage each other towards being more like Christ. And I find it so fascinating that they're so curious. Have we lost our curiosity of Christ in the church? Have we been doing this so long that it's just nothing new to us anymore? Are you still curious about what he is calling you to? To be in one heart and mind, wanting to discover more of God. Are you still curious? They encourage community. They encourage spiritual growth. And my hope for you this year is simple. And I'll close with this. That you would evaluate your spiritual lives. That you'd make adjustments. You'd connect with others and with God and establish measurables that you can maintain growth. Sounds easy. Maybe it's time for us to reprioritize our jars. Maybe it's time for us to make the main things the main things again. Pray for one another. Seek out accountability and relationship. Come to our encounter nights. Maybe if you're new, newer, or been here a while, you want to come to our, our first steps today after lunch. Maybe it's time to come to that. It's time to seek community. It's time to seek God. It's time for us to seek and stop waiting to be found. Let me pray for you, and we can go. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing and what you've done. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to put you first in all things. Lord, it's, it's time for us to make a change. For some of us, we don't know yet what that means. For some of us, that means making you a priority again, connecting with you, connecting with others. Lord, I pray that you would open opportunities, open doors. Lord, that we would seek and stop waiting to be found. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. Have a good week, church. Again, I love you. I'm so thankful for you, and we'll see you next week.